0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Almira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. And today we are looking at the idea of missional families, which is something that we're really passionate about. I'm sure I've mentioned this a few times, that I'm in the midst of a, a renovation project in my basement and finishing the basement and getting all that done. And one of the things that was actually lamentable for me for a really positive thing was I was covering up with drywall one of my pride and joys, which was my central vac system, okay? Because I'm not a really handy guy, but I actually put together my central vac system in my house. So this was like a beautiful thing. I should have taken a picture, I I didn't, but it was like I would go downstairs still and because the walls were all open and undone, I could still see all the piping for it. And the reason why it was such a pride and joy for me, partially was because it actually works, okay? That was a bit of a miracle. But the other part was that it just was, like it reminded me of all the planning and the thought that I had to put into putting this project together. Now, someone who knew what they were doing probably could have done it in an afternoon. It took me weeks, probably, of just looking and studying and planning and thinking and and just like looking up at the ceiling wondering how i was going to do this and then slowly cutting pieces and and feverishly gluing as the glue was drying it was just a process and actually when i think about the local church it's not a shop vac okay but it's like a a plan it's a project that is coming together it's something that's actually never finished, though. There's no complete date until Christ himself comes to take us home or he comes to be in our presence. But a local church is a gathering of God's people who are coming together to journey and to find out how does Jesus want to form us into the image of his son. And the beautiful thing about the scriptures is they actually give local churches a lot of freedom as to how they're going to accomplish their mission. We're given the Great Commission in the, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're kind of given two things that we have to hang our hats on, and that is we are called to baptize, and we're called to bring people into the teaching of Jesus. Those are the two things that Jesus gives to us. Other than that, what we're left with in the Scriptures is principles and examples and things to go back to, all the principles surrounded around like the one anothering passages. But the way that we actually plan it and execute it is going to look one way here at Citizens and it's going to look another way at the, you know, missionary church down the road or at Woodside, our mother church. It's going to look all different at these different churches. So we are taking some weeks to look at how do Citizens do it? What's the plan for Citizens Church in terms of making disciples? And so this morning, we're going to look at the gospel, not the gospel, I'm so used to saying the gospel of Mark. We're not looking at Mark anymore. We are in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. But just for way of reminder, we said this last week, this is what our vision is as a church. It's this, that we exist to see people come to know and be changed by Jesus, and we do this through simple, gospel-centered worship, community, and by making disciples who pursue mission in Elmira and beyond. So that's, that's why we exist as a church. That's why we are here. We want to see people changed by Jesus. The people in the room here and others who God would see bring into his church family. And we do that in three ways. Last week we talked about sacred communities, this smaller grouping of two to four people where deeper conversations happen, where we're talking about the the heart level things. This week we're talking about missional families, a gathering of like 15 to 20, 20 people uh, together. And then next week we'll talk about the gathering, what we're doing right here, right now. And so to do this this morning, I want to look at a passage in Philippians that will guide us and help, and help us understand what missional families are all about. Because if you look in the Bible, you will not find the phrase missional families. doesn't matter which translation you're reading. doesn't matter if it's in the Greek. Whatever it is, you will not find missional families. That is a term that we are using to describe what we see in Scripture and what we see as things that we want to hold on to and value as we make disciples at Citizens Church. So if you have your Bible again, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start by looking at the focus of missional families and the focus of this church is actually Jesus. Jesus is the center of what we want to be about. So verse 12 starts this way. Therefore, my beloved... As you always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Jesus needs to be the center of our lives. And if you're a Christian... What Paul is saying here is, what you need to do is bring the reality of your new spiritual self, what Christ has done for you on the cross, and all that happened to you when you became a Christian, Paul's saying now, that needs to be your true self in terms of the life that you live. So there's not these, these separate things that are happening where you are Christian, all this is made new in your life, but then you're real life, the day-to-day living that you do is like opposed to what Christ has actually done for you. So Paul says part of what you're called to do is make Jesus number one in your life so these things are actually coming together more and more. And we talked about that last week, this idea of what the Bible calls sanctification, where your life is coming in line, your, your physical life is coming in line with the reality of your spiritual life. Those things are coming closer and closer together because the reality is we are constantly being pulled and drawn and divided apart. Not not so much as a group, that happens too, but as persons, as individuals. Look over even at verse 27 of chapter 1. Paul is talking about this very thing, about this idea of living in Christ. And Paul says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or i am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, here's what I want to hear. If I'm not with you, I want to hear through letters or through the testimony of people that your lives are matching the teaching that I'm giving to you. The things that I taught you about the reality of your Christian life, of how you've been made new in Christ, and everything that comes with that. Paul says, What I want to hear, I don't want to hear that your room is full on a holiday weekend. I want to hear that your life is different, that you've been transformed. I want to hear that sanctification is happening, that, that Christ is like primary in your life, so you are following him. And that's what Paul's saying he wants to see, because he knows, just like most of us know, that it's actually the world that we live in wants to just distract us. And Satan would have nothing more than just divide us. In First Timothy four verses seven and eight, and I've been coming back to this verse in a, in a few sermons, um, Paul writes this. He says, "Have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while the bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." So Paul is saying, "Listen." And he's speaking specifically to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you're going to be faced with these challenges to get stuck in irreverent or silly myths or whatever category that is, things that draw you away from your identity in Christ. Or, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. Follow Jesus. Put your full heart into following Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here when he says in Philippians 2.12 and 13... Work out your salvation. He's saying that that word is not like work so that you get your salvation. But he's saying work out your salvation. Take seriously your calling to being a follower of Jesus. Make that primary in your life. And so for missional families, the primary thing for us at the table there when we gather together, when we come and be a group, is that we are gathered under the umbrella of Jesus He's what actually brings us together. There might be some people who love sports. There might be some people who are into Star Wars. There might be some people who are into, I don't know, like movies or art or photography. All these various things exist within the group. Those things do not bring us together. All of the affinity projects that exist in this world are not the things that draw us together. It might be... Cool if you find someone else who loves Star Wars. And you love Star Wars. So that's like great, you know. But that's not what brings you together. Missional families are gathered under the name of Jesus. That's why we come together. Whether you're a Christian in a missional family. Or whether you're not a Christian in a missional family. Everybody is welcome at the table. But everybody should know that we come under the umbrella of Jesus. That's why we're there. So people should experience Jesus then in the missional families as well. So without shame, we come together under the banner of Jesus. So what does it look like? Paul gets 16, where we see that the model then for, for the church and the model for us that we draw from is the idea of family, and specifically a loving family. Okay, look at verse 14 here. 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says, here, here's the thing, you need to be marked out as a people of unity and holiness. Look at the words he's using. We should do everything without grumbling and disputing. In verse 15 then it says, we should be blameless and innocent. Paul's saying when you come together as God's people, you should be united. You should be brought together. You shouldn't be pulling apart like arguing over different things. You should be marked as people who are united in Christ and you should be marked by lives of holiness. Now, when we say that Um, maybe what comes to mind is like a religious person, you know, you're maybe thinking like a pastor is holy or like a priest or maybe other religions like an imam or a rabbi, that's holy. Well, what Paul is actually saying here is not someone who lives without problems, okay? That's all of us, okay? All of us have problems. Not someone who's without problems, but someone who is, whose life is set apart. Someone whose life is marked it's different. And the difference is that they actually follow Jesus. So Paul says, don't get distracted and divided, separatedness from the world in a sense that you are following Jesus and he is your number one cause and the only voice that you hear. And so we are called to be a unified and holy church. And, and to see what that looks like, because maybe that's hard for us to see nowadays because we live in such a divided world, we live in such an unholy world, that it's hard to kind of see it. And for me, because I'm a person that I like history, I actually like to look back at the first century, second century church, and see how were they marked. Even though we don't have a lot of glimpses, but we do get to see some aspects of people who could talk to eyewitnesses of Jesus. People who were influenced by the apostles and people who saw, you know, Jesus actually changing lives. And so when we look back at the first century church, we can actually see that the church was amazing in its ability to follow Jesus. At all costs, they were able to reach out, love people, show kindness. They were marked by care for the poor and the sick, care for marginalized people a totally different ethic when it came to dealing with women, a total love for uh, infants and children. And these things, along with a whole bunch of other things, added to the fuel that caused the church to grow and ultimately just expand and take over, you know, some say over half of the Roman Empire was Christian by about the mid-third century. And the spread of that was through believers actively showing the love of Christ, and being unified. There's many different authors who wrote about this. Larry Hurtado, in his book, Destroyer of Gods, gives a kind of historical record of what these early Christians did. And he writes this, kind of what the Christians were doing and what their lives looked like. Hurtado sums it up this way. He says, They demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship, Christians participate in everything as citizens, but, he complains, the, the author, they have to endure everything as foreigners. Furthermore, Christians marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring, meaning they don't lay them out to die if it's a, if it's a little girl or someone, a baby that they don't want. They don't lay them out to die, which was common practice in the Roman world. Here again, reflecting on the Christian rejection of infant abandonment. Also, obviously responding to the rumors of Christian orgiastic practices, the author memorably states, they share their food, but not their wives. Okay, there's rumors going around that Christians, people didn't know what they were doing in their church services. They're like, I don't know, it seems kind of weird. And this guy's like, you know what? They just like are sharing food with each other, and they don't actually share their wives, which is a pretty common practice in the Roman world. The author is saying, these people are totally different. These are not like Roman citizens. They love each other to a degree that is not common to us. And not only that, the early church was marked by unity and holiness, but it was also marked by a sense of belonging. The ability to invite people in and see them marked by, again, an apprenticeship, a following of Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul is like, I'm hearing that you're talking about some people being baptized by Cephas, and some people being baptized by Apollos, and some by Paul, and, and the Apostle Paul is saying, you are dividing by, by groupings. You're coming together under like, this person is my favorite, and this person is my favorite. And Paul says, I hope I didn't baptize any of you, because that is not what the church is about. The church is actually about belonging. Harriet Connor puts it this way, belonging to the household of God means more than just spending quality time together. It means people of all generations working shoulder to shoulder in the family business, sharing the love of Jesus in both word and deed. And so Paul says, when you come into your local gathering, you belong. And so the way that we express that belonging And the way that we live out that discipleship is through what we call missional families. And missional families are marked by four things. And if you've been on our website, you've probably seen these things. And I just want to briefly touch on each of them. The first one is this, that we enjoy life together. So missional families are a time... They're an opportunity for us to come together and enjoy the good gifts that God gives to us. Whether it's celebrating a birthday or celebrating someone moving into a new place or someone is graduating or there's an anniversary. Whatever it is, it's the the gifts of life. Maybe it's even just going for a walk together and enjoying the place that we get to live in here it's enjoying life together. It's being together with God's people and celebrating what God has given to us. But more than that, it's also about, and we talk about this a lot, it's about eating food together. Tim Chester in his, gosp- uh, his commentary on the Gospel of Luke says, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal in most of the Gospels. Okay? He, his life was just all about food we all picture Jesus as like a thin, you know, I don't know, maybe. Because it's all about food. He's just like going to different meals and he's always with people eating food and dinners. So there's something about the dinner table. There's something about gathering with other people and sharing food. It's, it's an opportunity to physically actually face each other if you're at a table. Or if you're outside in a yard, to be in a circle and to come together. And it slows down life for a little bit, unless you eat really fast. But it slows down life a little bit, where you come together, and the food pulls you in, and there's conversation, and you're talking, and you're building relationship. And it was something that also marked the first century church. So we heard that quote above from the letter that was going around there's also other letters one was from a governor who was named pliny he was a roman governor and the christian movement was spreading and all these christians were coming into his area and there's letters of communication back and forth with pliny who who is trying to figure out what is this new cult like what is this new movement that is happening around me And he's doing like all kinds of interviews. He's trying to figure out why do people, you know, commit themselves to this life and and at a great cost do all these things. It even says in his writings that he uh, took some of what they call deaconesses and he like tortured them, trying to figure out like, like what is causing these people to follow this person named Jesus. And here's his summary. He says this. This comes from John Dixon's book, Bullies and Saints. It says, from other interviews, Pliny, the Roman provincial governor, discerned only three things about Christians. They sing to Christ, they take moral vows, and they eat together. He was like, that's all I figured out about these Christians. They do these three things. They sing to Jesus, they like have a moral life, and they eat together. They're just like at the table all the time. And so this was like something that marked the first century church. It was actually a an open door for people to come in, the practice of hospitality, to to show the love of Christ through the meal and through the gathering of people around the table was something that so marked the early church that Pliny was like, this is all I know about them. So we want to gather around the table. Third, we encourage gospel living. So not only celebrating all the great gifts that God has given to us, but also recognizing that all of our lives are filled with difficulty and with hardship. And each of us needs to, at different times, whether it's the celebration or whether it's the hardship, we need to put those things through the filter of the gospel. What is God actually doing in this circumstance? In this great joy, in this great trial, in this huge challenge in my life, We need other Christians to come around us so that we're not just stuck in our own little echo chamber, but we're hearing through others about what the gospel actually has to say to that very issue. And often that actually comes through just presence, being with people, showing the love of God in hardship, praying for each other. So encouraging gospel living, and then the last thing we do is serve our neighbors. Paul says here, he uses the, the little phrase, we will shine, like, shine as lights in the world. Maybe your translation says shine like stars. So our lives then will be out in our workplaces, and we'll be out in our communities, and maybe together as a missional family or individually sent from our missional family, we actually become the light of the gospel to people around us. We show Jesus to others. We practice our faith in word and deed. We show people what Jesus looks like by the things that we do and the way that we serve people. Tertullian, another, going back to early church writer, writes it this way, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. And then quoting his opponents, he says, only look, they say, look how they love each other. That's what Tertullian is saying. We should be so marked as a community by love and the presence of Jesus that when people interact with us and they see what we're doing, these are the types of things that they say. They're just like, wow, these people are marked by love for each other. And I guess if we're honest with ourselves, that's the question we should be asking. Even at our point in history in 2022, is that actually what our neighbors are saying about us? Is that actually what people around us are saying about Christians when they think of Christians? They just think, oh man, the only thing that comes to mind is how they love one another. This should remind us that What we talked about last week, this idea of sanctification, of being made into the image of Christ, comes with us giving ourselves over to Jesus wholly, fully. So in missional families, again, remember, point one is we are centered around Jesus. He is why we gather together. And the way that we do that then is we come together as families, singles, married, married with children, married with children out living, hopefully, you know, away from the home. Kids, everybody together, pointing ourselves to Jesus so that our lives are shaped by Him so that then when we go out and we interact with our neighbors and we interact in our workplaces, we become like lights, like stars shining before them. And then, Lord willing, they make comments like this. They say things like this. You are marked, you are different. And then we can say, it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus, and we introduce them to Jesus. But this then brings us to our last point, and we'll end with this. Maybe the most difficult for us to take in, okay? So take a deep breath. Let's go to verse 17 and 18. And this is Paul kind of testimonially speaking, but giving us some principles to hang on to. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out As a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Joining a missional family comes with self-sacrifice. It comes with self-sacrifice. And Jared was just alluding to that in his testimony. We need to come to missional families with a willingness to give up our rights for others. To give up the things that we long for, for the sake of others. To set aside preference for the sake of others. Now where am I getting this from? I'm actually getting it from a few verses right before us in Philippians chapter 2, which Paul is actually basing everything that we've been talking about on. So everything that we've talked about, verse 12 starts with therefore, which connects it all to what he said before. So in chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, listen to this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is Yours in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Jesus modeled for us self-sacrifice. To the extent that he sacrificed all of his his will, his desires, everything for his own death on the cross. He took it right to the end. So if you're like, how far do I go in my self-sacrifice? Right to the end. That's where Jesus goes. And Paul says, that is a model for you. That's something that we are to emulate. That's supposed to be a part of our lives. We'll never be able to follow it to the extent of Jesus because none of us is Jesus. But the road that we've been called to is one of self-sacrifice. And we live in a world of me first. All of us, 100% of us, have been bred in this world of me first. And it's only getting easier to be me first, right? So if you don't want to wait for uh, Amazon package to be shipped, there's Amazon Prime, right? You're just like, I can get it right to my door within a day. If you don't want to wait in line at a grocery store, a lot of them now have self-checkout. Line up, don't need it. Boom, do it myself, I'm out. This world is being built around the idea of our convenience, our, you know, being able to get things done, being able to do what we want Many of those things are gifts that I love and enjoy, okay? They are good things. I'm not saying take them away. Keep building them, you know. But the fact is, it's wiring us for self being primary. It's causing us to only think about our own needs and desires. And so when we come to something like a missional family... We want to practice putting others first. We want to put into practice self-sacrifice. And the way that we do that is actually by counting the cost. Jesus says in Luke 14, when he talks, he's talking to a group of people and he says, do you want to be my disciple? That's wonderful. But he says, what you need to do is count the cost. You need to take into account what that actually means. Because... Jesus is like, I don't want you just to have the Jesus t-shirt. I want you to live the life that I'm calling you to live, which is a life of self-sacrifice. And it's one of obedience to Christ and his call for our lives. So it's not just something that we enter into lightly and we just join because it's great. I had this experience. I don't, I don't know if I've told this story here or not, but I was like 14 or 15 years old and Greenpeace came to my front door okay and it was like the 90s I was kind of into like environmentalism before it was like a big thing and Greenpeace came to my door and I was like this is my moment you know I'm gonna enter in and be an environmentalist so I somehow scrounged together $20 for the entrance fee for a lifetime membership into Greenpeace so I'm still a member evidently okay and I filled out this form and they were like, great. And they gave me this big folder. You know, it was like all these companies were terrible and chemicals. And they're like, OK, and we're going to call you. You know, And you can like come and we'll like protest these companies. And we'll see you there. And I was like, OK, yeah, I'm going to be there. And then they kept calling. You know, they're like, hey, we're having this rally. And this was when I lived in Montreal. And they're like, we're going to go uh, have a rally in front of DuPont factory and you know, protest them. And I would be like, sorry, my mom can't drive me into the city, you know. I was like a teenager. I couldn't do anything. Eventually, it was like they stopped calling me, okay. Because I was just like, just join the movement in the moment. It was easy, right? Sign a clipboard, 20 bucks, I'm in for life. We're not trying to make the bar of missional families or citizens church uh, high. But we're also saying we love what God is actually doing here. We love the idea of God's people coming together. We want to like increase and invite people into the, to the mission and the vision of what we're doing. But we're asking all of us to count the cost. We're not just going to give out t-shirts. We want people to enter in so that together we can follow Jesus. And that we can together then go out into our community, Elmira here for many of us, or Listowel, or Drayton, or wherever you're coming from, so that then Jesus will be magnified and like like stars in the night, God's people will stand out. And we will be marked by those who love their neighbors, who share truth with them, and who are willing to sacrifice their preferences for the sake of the local church and also for God's mission. Megan Hill puts it this way, our last quote here. She says, as a result, we will expect to have less money and less free time than we would have on our own. We will expect to have added sorrow, but we will also expect to have great joy. And maybe I'd say deep joy. So you're invited today to think about to contemplate the idea of missional family and if citizens is your home or you've been coming regularly or maybe this is your first time here and you're just intrigued by the idea i'd encourage you to go to our website CitizensElmira.ca, and and read a little bit more about it there talk to someone who's been a regular here or talk to me this morning or you can email us through our website as well. We'd love to give you any more information that we can to help you understand more the vision of citizens and missional families. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for saving us, that you're gracious towards us, and that you allow us to be creative and thoughtful as a local church. And God, we do want to see you work in our midst through people becoming disciples in the context of missional family. And for that, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.